You're listening to a podcast from Heart. Well, welcome to this uh, 2012 British Cardiac Society Heart podcast. Um, my name is Matthias Schmidt. I'm a cardiac magnetic resonance specialist from uh, University Hospital of South Manchester. And with me is my co-moderator, Dr. Guy Lloyd, current president of the British Society of Echocardiography. And we have the pleasure to interview and welcome Dr. William Soapby, current president of the American College of Cardiology, to our 2012 annual scientific session. Welcome. Great to be with you. Thank you very much. Dr. Sokbi, you have just given us an excellent presentation and overview about the technological developments that we have seen over the last two decades and the diagnostic capabilities of imaging technologies in 2012. You have also given us an outlook on uh, where these imaging modalities will move to, given the technological progress and the cost associated. How do we square the circle in the future to harness the improved diagnostic accuracy that these tests provide, possibly over clinical assessment, and still keep um, costs down and reduce per capita spending? This is very important because we have to put the technology in ultimate utilization regarding patient outcome, quality of care, and value of care, which part of it is cost. So in a way, we have to differentiate between utilization in the clinical setting and further development into area of research. The way we got here is through innovation and through spending dollars to do the research to improve the technology, be it echo, be it uh, MRI, uh, nuclear, PET, and each one has an area that can complement another area. So research, we really have to invest in research because this is our future. The question is when you apply it to the population at large, then you have to look at cost effectiveness and introduce these innovations gradually to make a difference in patients. So you have to look at both sides of the equation. In general, ultrasound is the first layer most of the time in our screening or early diagnosis. But we know nowadays that we need additional modality on top of ultrasound, if you will, to further diagnose, investigate, find the appropriate therapy for patients, let's say for heart failure or other things. And I can, I can foresee even down the line that uh, you could have portable ultrasound that you may not necessarily you know, pay a lot for, but it will give you a first screener and then conceivably jump to a higher modality if needed, just like an MRI or a PET, depending on what the situation is. Okay. It is logic that any diagnostic test, uh, in particular imaging test applied, should impact on clinical decision making. Um, commissioners, insurance companies and healthcare providers especially for the high-cost uh, cross-sectional imaging uh, modalities, demand more at these days, asking that any imaging modality at high cost should impact on quality of life and or patient outcome. How can we equip ourselves to meet these challenges and demonstrate that these modalities have such an impact? I think this is where either you tap on research that's already done, or you have to do, you have to target some of the research to see where these modalities fit in. One thing we want to discourage against is what's called layering of modalities. You start with an ultrasound, you do a stressed nuclear, you see something that is suspicious, uh, you may want to do a CTA, CT angiogram, 
and you found something on the CT angiogram, then you end up with a cardiac catheterization and maybe an angioplasty, et cetera. So individuals have to, have to think a little bit as to what would this test do to alter my management and will it alter my management, number one. <laughs> number two, how would it affect care? Now, we may not have all the answers for this. <laughs> and this is where we need some of the research to help us. I can point you to uh, the American College of Cardiology has put out what's called appropriate use criteria. It's a nice methodology, a RAND methodology of experts in the field in, a, in addition to technological experts. And then uh, there are buckets for appropriate utilization for a clinical scenario, inappropriate, and you have to see the uncertain or indeterminate somewhere where we need a lot of research. So there are a few areas we know exactly what to do. And I think this is where the research needs to be done in particularly the area of uncertainty and see where does that fit. Thank you, Professor Zogby. Um, you've stated very clearly your commitment to patient-centered care. How do you think we can deliver this in an era when our profession is split up into ever smaller super-specialist groups? I think we have to acknowledge that, uh, be it in the UK, in the, in the United States, care has been fragmented more and more. I mean, we see even the US hospitalist, et cetera, as opposed to, it's, it's no longer the same physician who is following this patient everywhere they go and, and providing all the care. It doesn't mean that although we have specialists nowadays, that they, they may not practice what's called patient-centered care, which is involving patients with their decision-making and educate them as much as possible. Obviously, there are different levels of what health literacy would be for a patient, but at least involving them in the decision-making because not all decisions are really black and white. Not all decisions only have one option. There is from medical therapy to surgery to uh, PCI procedures. And you know there are pros and cons for each one of them depending on the clinical situation. So a more patient-centered approach is involving them as opposed to in the past. Interesting. Looking forward five years um, at the range of multimodality imaging modalities available, which ones do you foresee becoming mainstream and which ones do you foresee becoming more niche indications? From all the modalities, I think most physicians and healthcare professionals agree that ultrasound can give you echocardiography, can give you a lot of information, uh, be it structure, function, pressure determination, so many things. And this is goes back to our previous uh, you know, question and interchange that research really drove this and, and the research is still important. So most of the time, I really think that ultrasound would be your first diagnostic method. And the nice thing about research in that area and technological advances is that it has become more and more miniaturized. And at the same time, the higher end is 3D, real time, that could ultimately be auto-quantitated. So you have this miniaturization in addition to automation. So that could be a first line most of the time, not necessarily, but I think most of the time. The others are more selective, if you will. And the question is, how do you navigate that? MRI has a lot of attraction to it, at least, you know, in our center, uh, 
I manage all multi-modality imaging, so I have a good feel for, for this because it can give you, similar to echo, a lot of structure function has some niche areas for viability, scar, that uh, could really complement. And you know, you never know down the line if it becomes incredibly, if cost comes down significantly that you could you know, pair it with a little portable ultrasound instead of a stethoscope at the bedside and decide for that because reliability, reproducibility is usually higher in this end. So I would hope that we could push manufacturers to bring the cost down so conceivably we could have much more utilization of these technologies. The others also have their niche. At this stage of the game, CT angiography is the one non-invasive, quote unquote, to tell us about coronary arteries. MRI hasn't, hasn't gotten there yet, we do hope, at some point in time, but technological advances, and this is where research comes on board. So I'm really bullish for the future about driving research for each one of these particular modalities, and you never know, we may have another one down the line that we're not dreaming about now. But once we put it in the population realm and in the disease realm, we really have to be thinking about value and cost effectiveness because before we drive it from a payer's point of view. And there is actually a hybrid where, I can tell you in the United States and probably here too, is that there is a hybrid where it's almost ready or about to be ready for clinical you know, application and we could do it under registry, meaning it could be paid for, it is under registry, you'll see utilization, you see outcome, and then assess after two to three years whether you should continue this, yes or no. So I think there is a hybrid model for this between early, early investigation, midline or early adoption, and then, you know, much more adoption that is really part of a norm of practice. You talked uh, this afternoon, interestingly, about atherosclerosis screening, some of it in, you know, in the United States and, and some of it in innovative heart camps in India. Where do you see the role of atherosclerosis screening, or is it just a route to statin therapy? I really believe that prevention should be the basis of whatever we do. I think we're physicians, and usually we treat as opposed to prevent. But we have a lot of contacts in our daily life, in addition to when we see individuals in the clinic. Uh, I really think uh, education to the general public is a must. And I think it could be from governmental agencies, from non-governmental agencies, from the healthcare providers, you name it. And I personally don't see it as much as I'd like to see it. And we're pushing this. And the reason for it is when people start thinking about what their risk factors are and try to decrease that, and now we're, we're fighting an obesity epidemic, this is where it would be important. Now, within that context, going back to your question, there are individuals who are at high risk of things that, you know, be it, you know, an early a familial problem, an early death in the family and coronary disease. Uh, other risk factors that you're just wondering whether you need to start treating after you've done what you need to do to help them out. So I don't believe in wide, <laughs> wide screening. I believe in selective screening. We know that risk factors, that even the traditional ones, are the ones who are going to identify the vast majority of patients. So for us to look at the phenotype in, within that risk, we could use methodology to, to try to maybe early detect the phenotype. And 10 years down the line, you're going to have, in addition to this, you're going to have 
the the new genomics and and things that uh, would even stratify a bit more with the risk. So we're going to target within that higher risk, be it markers, be it history, be it other findings. These are the ones that I would target imaging on, as opposed to the general population unselected. And I, I really think this is where your efficiency, your cost effectiveness comes to play, provided that what you see is acted upon. Because, you know, you could say, my goodness, we have an obesity epidemic. And it's not only in the U.S., it's everywhere. <laughs> and we're not doing a good job at it. Should we go and try to find a medication to try to do this? It would be much more costly than even getting back to baseline. And, and I really think, you know, we would do it in tandem. But this is an epidemic that really has to be targeted. And you may or may not know that the World Health Organization just adopted the recommendations from the World Heart Federation, European Society of Cardiology, American, uh, American College of Cardiology, American Heart Association, basically the NCD, uh, uh, basically bigger goal, which is reduction of 25% of mortality by the year 2025. And that's, we're talking globally in the world here, which means if this is your target, that you're gonna have to do something about obesity, activity, all the risk factors for you to be able to do that. Well, Dr. Thokpi, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts. And this concludes the Heart Podcast from the British Cardiac Society Annual Scientific Meeting 2012. Pleasure being with you. For more information about this program and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.